Good morning, family. So we are celebrating 30 years of the Year of Your Life today. Uh, the Year of Your Life program started in 1989, and I know that because I was there and uh, part of the first group that did the Year of Your Life. So we're just going to show you some clips of, yeah, come on, just give the Lord a hand for just His faithfulness over these 30 years. So just some of the, just the stats about the year of your life, they're going to put on the screen and we'll just show you that during the 30 years of the year of your life, we've had uh, over 1,600 people complete the program, trained over 360 leaders and participated in more than 3,000 short-term outreaches. Isn't that fantastic? During, yeah, come on, just you can give the Lord a hand. That's really special. During the 30 years, we traveled more than 2.8 million kilometers, and uh, we've had really the grace of the Lord upon us in terms of just not, you know, looking after us on the roads. Um, we had 85 graduates that represented in the Year of Your Life program, and that had people from 29 different countries that completed the program with us. Here's a photo of some of our staff on currently that's on, the, on staff with us that are Year of Your Life alumni that all did the Year of Your Life. In many years, Natasha and I were supposed to be on that photo, but we got stuck in traffic, so we missed the photo. But uh, isn't it beautiful just that that's been one of the ways that the Lord has just blessed our community is through the year of your life. And then we're going to just put up some testimonies for you, just some comments by some of them uh, that have put on the Joshua Kidd, who's in our reverb ministry. That's just what he said about the year of your life, not the year of your wife, but the year of your life. Uh, Trudy is one of our pastors. Here's Trudy in the front. Uh, she did the Year of Your Life in 1991 and uh, had to learn to defend herself against the boys that were doing things they shouldn't have in those times. Uh, Vernon is one of our great testimonies. Also, Vernon did the Year of Your Life in 2008, came not really knowing what he wants to do with his life. And during the time, he did the media track and loved working with a camera. He went from the Year of Your Life to go study film at TUT and then became a lecturer in film at TUT and currently is working for a production agency, filming and directing for our South African National Television Service. So that's fantastic um, in that space. And Garth, who's also on staff here with our going team, uh, did the Year of Your Life in 2006. Then the next one is Kewen, who's currently the director with Raquel. They lead the Year of Your Life. He's the director of Year of Your Life. And uh, when he came to the Year of Your Life in 2010, um, he was actually thinking to become a pilot. That was where he was going. That's why you'll see the photo. It's hard to think that that's Kewen, actually, but the much younger Kewen <laughs> on there. Who, <laughs> with the, uh, he wanted to be a pilot and then came and did the Year of Your Life. And during the time, felt God call him to come and study theology, which he then did. And now he serves in the Year of Your Life as the director of the Year of Your Life. So many lives. Those are just a snapshot of many of lives that have been changed. Can I ask if you're a Year of Your Life alumni here this morning, if you'll just quickly stand wherever you are so we can just applaud and welcome you, especially there's some that have come for this day, especially to celebrate with us. And uh, it's fantastic to have you join with us. Um, Join us after the service in the Young People's Facility just on the other side of the, at the inter, outside the church here, and we're going to have a time of celebration together. And we're really thankful, and we pray for the next 30 years for the year of your life. It's been such a source of blessing in our community and a, a way that God has released many people into, the, into our world and, and to serve in the world. But it's not the only way. Sometimes God uses and sends people also in different ways, and sometimes just through their work situations. And as a community, we are wanting to learn and to become better at supporting each other on our front line in terms of our mission where God has sent us, even as it involves some of our workspaces as whole life disciples. And this morning, we want to pray for Stig and Hunley. Where's Stig and Hunley? I'm going to, there's Stig and Hunley. They're going to stand, and they are having, as a diplomatic post, being sent to Chad. Chad. Now, some of you may know, where is Chad? And they're going, and um, as uh, this is part of their work, but they've really felt, and they've journeyed with us, that this is actually, they're doing this because they feel God is sending them on a mission to go to Chad. So they'll be doing their jobs as their priority, and, you know, doing that well, but, uh, and as part of that, and in other ways, also serving in the kingdom of the Lord in that place. So can we pray for them, and stand with them today? Um, I don't know a lot about Chad, but I don't think it's the easiest place in the world to go and live, and uh, and we want to trust God with them. So why don't you stretch out your hands to, 
to Stig and Hunley, and let's pray for them. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we are all called to go and be disciples and to go and make disciples. We thank you, Lord, that you use different vehicles in our lives to send us to achieve this purpose. We thank you for Stig and for Hunley for, for this opportunity that you have given them to go and be missionaries in that space, Lord. And we, we pray for their work. We pray, Lord, that even in their work, or especially in their work, they will experience a grace upon their lives, that they will be able to represent you and do their work really well, Father. But we pray that you will give them key moments and opportunities in chair to build relationships, to see people come to faith in you, to be able to share the hope that is within them in that place also, Father. And we pray that you would keep them, that you would provide for them, that you will protect them, and that your favor will rest upon them in Jesus' name. And we as a community commit to pray for them, Father, regularly in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. May the Lord. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's Chad, right smack bang in the middle of North Africa. I really wouldn't have even guessed that that's where it is, so. But praise God, that's fantastic. Uh, the guys on, this, on, the, uh, on the media, I'm changing the tone or the emphasis of the message slightly, so you're going to have to jump around with me. I know you guys are, are good to do that. We are in our series of God Speaks, and we've been considering as a community just the amazing privilege and value that we have in the reality that God speaks, that His sheep hear His voice. And today we want to move particularly, and for this week and next week, we're going to be talking about prophecy and the value of the gift of prophecy. Today I'm going to be speaking about prophecy and me and look at it a bit more from an individual basis. And next week we'll talk about it's prophecy and a community, the, the prophecy and us, because ultimately the, the prophetic gift is, is, to, is about the community. It's about the body of Christ, and it must be earthed and rooted in that. But you'll talk about that next week a little bit more. I can remember when I was about 14 years old, I was a pimple-faced, uh, brace, braces-wearing, scrawny, little, blonde, young guy that was particularly struggle at, struggling at that time in my life, and I had not a lot of confidence. I could hardly speak in public. I, uh, I was quite um, withdrawn and also quite insecure, and I went on a Hatfield youth camp. And uh, that year we went somewhere out in Mpumalanga, I can't remember exactly, and we went with our then youth pastor called Andre Stein, it was a privilege to see him earlier this year, him and his wife, and, and uh, we went on a camp with them, about 120 of us if I remember correctly, I still got friends that were with us on that camp, and I remember in my mind I've got this little video clip that I hope my recollection is correct, so, but this is how I remember it, we were sitting in the LARPA where we would meet every day and spend time together, and we were sitting, studying the Word, and, and sharing with each other, and there came a moment in the time of sharing where uh, Pastor Andre then started, and he just ministered to us and prayed for us, and in the midst of this, he asked me to stand up, and he said to me, I just believe the Lord's saying to you that you're going to preach the Word of God one day, and that became a, a moment in my life that I didn't quite understand at that point. But something of a seismic nature was released in my inner being. This scrawny, insecure, young person that really struggled at that time. That I, I don't think I've even begun to think about possibilities for my life. And I don't think I really had any great dreams for my life at that age. But something was released in me. Some possibility became a part of my expectation in life and my hope and that which I thought would become possible. I don't think I really took it very seriously at that point, to be honest with you, that I, that I really thought I'm going to preach now the Word of God. But I think more than what it did for me is at that moment, I suddenly became aware that God had me in mind, that there was something that He had purposed for my life, that there was some value that I had as a person, and perhaps there's more to my life than what I could think of. And so started a journey. It was about two years later, when I was about 17, that the Lord spoke to me personally and told me that He has called me to go and serve the church, teach the Word, and to serve the church. Through Ezekiel 3 was where I felt the Lord called me. And, and, and that became the next step. And I started stepping into, and at that point, I actually had dreamt that 
despite the word that I got that tells you how seriously I took it, I thought I was going to go study medicine and become a pediatrician. Natasha says that would have been a good idea. We could have saved lots of money with four children if I was a pediatrician. But uh, so that was my dream, and I was preparing and studying for that. But when I was 17, the Lord spoke to me so clearly personally. And then I went, that was the word that the Lord spoke. And something started bubbling inside of me. Something started moving inside of me, and my hopes and expectations started. And so I finished matric, and like we all did at those years, we, we went then to do our military service. And I started my military service. And early on in the second year of my military service, which was 1988, the then youth pastor of the church, Greg Haswell, came to me and said, listen, we are planning to start a program at the church for young people. Uh, it's going to be called the year of your life, and I think you should apply for it. And immediately it resonated in my spirit. So as far as I know, I am the first applicant for the year of your life program. They gave me the form. It was the fresh and I filled that form in and submitted it sort of six, I don't know how long before I even finished my service and knew that when 1989 begins, I'm going to come and do the year of your life. And that was the next step in a journey of this purpose and this calling, this, this divine possibility that was in my life was starting to unfold and starting to take shape. And I'm so glad for the journeys that I had. Five years with the Year of Your Life program that Natasha and I worked and eventually in 93, we actually led the program in that year. We had 105 students on the Year of Your Life that year and uh, we were serving in that space. And we were, we were loving it. It was so fantastic. God was doing so much. It was also in the time of the Toronto blessing and things were happening and it was just a fantastic time. We were, had plans at that stage in the, in the training center and things were developing so that Natasha and I were at a place that our future looked set. We were going to serve in the training center and we were going to be responsible for the first year program and lots of things were settled and, and we went on an outreach and in Zim, to Zimbabwe at the end of the year, one of those 3,000 short-term outreaches, we took a team and uh, we had a great time in Zimbabwe, did fantastic ministry and on Lake Kariba, never a terrible place to go and do an outreach. And uh, we were just on the last week before we were coming back, that Sunday we went and attended a local church in Arari, and uh, we had a great service, and after the service they asked us as a team to go and come be prayed for, and people came around and they prayed for us, and a lady came to Natasha and I and she said, I see a vision for you, I see that you are firmly rooted and planted where you are right now, and it's like your life, your, you can see your life ahead, but I just believe the Lord's saying to you, He's quickly going to uproot you and change everything. How many of you know when you get a word like that, you go, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Bless you. You know, and I think that Tasha and I still went, mm -hmm. so, so thank you very much for trying to share the word with us. We, we, we see your heart, but no, it's not. We didn't say anything. It's not what you do as a Christian. You just, you know, smile and so, sort of go. But little did we know, within a week, we were uprooted. Our time at the training center came to an end. And it all finished, suddenly. But I'm so glad we had the word of the Lord. A prophetic word that's told us that God is busy doing something. We then ended up in warm baths. And for four years, we led a training center. We were the principals of a training center. And we worked closely with the church here. And we had a similar program to the year of your life that we did. And again, in 97, after having been there four years and have really broken through and things were starting to move and shake and we were really doing well. And again, we were like, this is our future. This is what we're going to do. God is busy and something's building. And about March of that year, I uh, was praying one day and the Lord took me to the story of, uh, remember when David and them took the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? And as the ark was being moved on a cart, they didn't carry it as they were supposed to with the priest. They put it on a cart and the, and the ark was moved and the, and the oxen went through a little bit of a dip and the cart did, did this and there was a man walking next to the cart by the name of Azza and Azza stuck out his hand to keep the ark from falling off the cart and immediately right there he was struck and he, was, and he, and he died because he touched that which was holy. And as I was praying that day, the Lord said to me very clearly, he said, I'm going to bring what you're doing to an end now quite quickly. And if you, I'm going to shake everything and I'm going to cause it to fall. And if you stick out your hand to steady it, you will die. It's nice when the word Lord gives you words like that. <laughs> now, when you get a word like that in that moment, let me be honest with you. I sort of went, yo, what's going on? Have I eaten too much meat the previous day? 
But as things happened and unfolded again, it wasn't a couple of months later, then suddenly our whole thing collapsed and our program came to an end. And the Lord said to us, it's done. And I'm so thankful again for the word. Because if I didn't have that word, I would have probably been very tempted to keep the thing going. But I stepped back and said, this is what the Lord said. And then another moment, and and then I'll finish my stories. I can remember 1997. Shortly after this now became real for us that our time in warm wells is coming to an end. We didn't know what next. We didn't know where to go. All we felt the Lord say to us is come back to Hatfield. Come back to your home. And uh, so we were planning to just come and move back here. And, you know, I have a theology degree, so I'm of no use to anybody outside the church. And I couldn't, there was no prospect for me to find a job. Natasha is a bit more useful. She's worked in different spaces and uh, she had a job actually that she could go and do. And so we moved in. We were going to move in with my mom and just become involved in the church again. And, you know, we were hoping that perhaps somebody will allow us to be life group leaders again or something. And we joined with Um Safas and Tani Isabel in their area. But before that all happened, we, Pastor Ed passed away, 1997, July, for those of you that were here long enough will remember. And Natasha and I were kind of come down to come and attend the service, the funeral service here in this building. And uh, we drove down from Warm Baths and we were a little bit late. So as we came in the auditorium years, I can remember was pretty full. Laurie and others will remember those that day. That was pretty full. And uh, so there were rows kept in the front here, space for, and it said, had little stickers on the seats. We still had the plastic seats those days. It said reserved Hatfield pastors. So as we were coming in, some of the pastors that we knew called us to come and sit in the front. And we sat down and we were part of the memorial service and feeling all the, the shock and the pain and the everything of that day. And, and uh, I was sitting there just in part of the service and something started bugging me on my back here, and I reached back, and it was this little sticker, this paper that was stuck on the chair, so I took it off so that it wouldn't bother me, and as I looked at it, it said, reserved Hatfield pastor, the Lord said to me, you're coming back to be a pastor at Hatfield, and I thought, can I be vulnerable with you? It's the last thing I wanted to do at that stage. I didn't want to come back to be a pastor at Hatfield, not because of anything wrong with being a pastor of Hatfield, it was just a place where I was in my life. But the Lord said, I want you to come back. And it took about, I think only in March the next year we'll be called onto the pastoral staff here at Hatfield again in 1998. But aren't you glad for the word of the Lord in our lives? How he releases over our lives his possibilities. You see, this is our challenge. Each of us live our lives and we're so limited to our own thoughts and feelings and hopes and dreams and our own perspective of things. Sometimes our dreams are way too too much than what they should be. We're actually unrealistic. Or sometimes they're way too small in terms of, you know, what God is actually asking of us. But God comes and He speaks and He releases His Word. And that's the power, sorry, of the prophetic gift in our midst. The prophetic gifting we believe as a church is alive and well among us. It is the way, it's one of the instruments that God uses to release over us that which is His heart and His dreams and His possibilities. God's prophetic word can speak into the life of an individual, but probably more so even it speaks into the life of a community of faith. And the word of God is released over us. And God says, this is what I am busy doing. And it affords us the opportunity to start making space for that and to align ourselves with that which is God's dreams and gifts for us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, Paul deals with the gifts of the Spirit in our midst. And um, he puts these three chapters together and we often talk about 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 as the chapters that deals about the gifts of the Spirit. And sometimes we take 13 out of the middle of it and we almost read chapter 13. We've called it the love chapter and we make it some loose standing bit of scripture and we spend a lot of time. But we've got to remember that 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 forms a unit in that portion of scripture where Paul talks about the the value and importance of the gifts of the Spirit, particularly spends a lot of time about prophecy. But he says it's all got to be rooted in love. Love for the community. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 and 2, I just want to mention this quickly. He starts, 
this chapter, and he says the following. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. I love the way that translation puts it. We all have a need for spiritual reality and spiritual experience and spiritual life. Throughout history, human history, it's so noticeable. Whenever spirituality gets suppressed, whether it's through an atheistic regime or through some whatever it happens and the spirituality in a community or in a society is suppressed, it pops out in all kinds of different weird and wonderful ways because people have a need to be spiritual. So much so even in the Corinthians that they had a need for spiritual experiences. But part of what they were doing is they were, they were running after idols and spiritual experiences from these false gods. So Paul writes to them, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I think particularly when it comes to spirituality and our spiritual experiences and, and, and which you could almost say the more mystical side of things, perhaps the, the things that are, it's so easy to be ignorant. There's a lot of ignorance around. And when you're ignorant about something, you tend to abuse that thing. So Paul writes, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, particularly you Corinthians that come from a situation where you were Gentiles and you were carried away to these dumb idols. Now the word dumb he uses there is the word mute actually, but I think dumb is appropriate in both meanings. Because they, they were so desiring of spiritual experiences that they were running around and looking for experiences in places where there, there really wasn't anything. There was, there was just deception and lies because idols are dumb. They cannot speak and they're dumb. They don't have intelligence. But because of our need, we so look for things. I, I, and and in, even in our communities, even in some of our very religious Christian Communities, you'll see people desiring spiritual reality. I grew up in an Afrikaans home that went to church every Sunday, or a lot of Sundays. Way too many felt like to me. And uh, my mom grew up in a home that was church-going, God-fearing people. You know, read the Bible every day. But I can remember going to visit my grandmother. And uh, those days, how many of you remember when you made tea? It wasn't a tea bag. It was leaves that they threw in the pot, and then they'd pour out. And so we would drink tea, and then my grandmother would say, come and bring your cup so I can read your tea leaves and tell you something of what's going to happen. Any of you have that experience? Reading of tea leaves or palm, reading of people's palms. We go and visit these weird people with caravans next to the road. They can't even afford a home, but yet we're going to ask them to tell us how to live our life successfully. You know, or, or, we, or we do the zodiac signs or whatever it is, but people look for spirituality. And so even in our community, people can come and, and they, they want to feel this power and the presence of God. But we've got to understand prophetic, the prophetic ministry is nothing like that at all. First of all, because the prophetic ministry is completely subject to the Word of God. It is not objective truth, it is subject to the word. Okay, it's not subjective truth in that it is subject to the objective truth of the word of God. I messed that up terribly. Thanks, Chris, for laughing at me. But uh, you know what I'm, what I'm trying to say is when you go visit some soothsayer or tarot card reader, that's completely subjective. It cannot be measured against anything. But when you and I come and we say, Lord, reveal to us your plans. It's completely subject to the objective word of God. It can never take away from the word. It cannot add to the word. It can only apply the word in our time and in our context and in our lives. So when God spoke to me as a young person and said, I've called you to preach the word, it's because the word allows for such a thing as preaching of the word. I, it couldn't tell me I'm going to do something completely different. It's subjective to the word of God. I like Dwayne, who often preaches here, his definition of prophecy. So if you can put that slide up. He says, prophecy is divine possibilities, which through, through faith and patience transform into divine probabilities, and which through obedience become divine realities. It is not a divine inevitability, but a divine possibility. Don't you like that as a, yeah, come on, that's a great, that's Dwayne's definition. Prophecy is divine possibilities, 
which through faith and patience transform into divine probabilities. This is the amazing thing. When God made you and me, we do not have an idea of the divine possibilities He placed in each of us. When God called this church into existence and made this community, we do not have an idea of the divine possibilities that God put in this community. We do not know what God has in store for us. But it is through the prophetic gifting and the prophetic word that divine possibilities become something of our awareness. We become aware of it in some way. As a 14-year-old, insecure, pimple-faced, teeth full of braces child, something burst inside of me as a divine possibility was spoken over my life. But those are possibilities. They're not inevitabilities. There's no guarantee that it could happen. But it releases something in our lives. It sets us on a course where if we follow every day that which God says, then He will get us there. He will take us to the place where He wants us to be. God has divine possibilities in your life. That if you had to know them perhaps today, you may think that it is completely impossible. It's not, it's, it's not even probable. But in God, who knows what He can do? Who knows what He can do? The scripture is full of stories and accounts of God taking people and radically changing their lives and moving in them into His divine possibilities. You see, God is busy. He's busy building His kingdom. And through the pro prophetic word, He invites us to join Him in that which He is doing. He gets us to come alongside and to submit and surrender our lives to join the biggest program that there ever is. He says, come. You can come and play a role in this fantastic thing that I'm doing, building the kingdom. You can carry on living your life for yourself and do your own little thing, and you may feel great about what you're doing, but in terms of what I'm doing, that's so little. Come and join me. And God did that over, over all the years and throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. He invited Abraham. He invited Moses. He invited Joseph. He invited David. He invited Ruth. He invited Esther. He invites John, Luke, Mark, Matthew. He invited Paul and Stephen. He invited Peter. He invites all the time. And he says, come and be part of my kingdom story. And it's often through the prophetic word that that gets birthed inside of us. It just gets released inside of us, the, the divine possibility. In Ezekiel 37, we see something of a moment where God released something. And I want to link this to the word we had earlier, the, the word that was shared from the ministry, Mike, about God is doing a new thing. He's raising up an army. He's raising up a people that you may look at the people and you may think there's not much going on. Perhaps not quite as dead as this army that Ezekiel was dealing with, but I can't see these people actually when changing the world and seeing God's kingdom come. I want to say to you, God is declaring prophetically, I am raising up a people in this time. I'm raising up a people, and I believe that is a, a, across the world that God is saying that, but He's definitely saying it in this place also, in Hatfield. He's saying, I'm raising up a people. In Ezekiel 37, verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. That famous story where Ezekiel was commissioned by God to prophesy to the dry bones and to raise up an army out of those dry bones. Dead bones. Dead. They don't even stink anymore, they're so dead. It's just dead bones lying there. It's a sad place of loss, of hope and potential. No possibilities, no future, nothing. Just a mass grave of an army that failed and was killed and destroyed. God sends Ezekiel to that valley of bones, and he says, prophesy to the bones. What can God do? What can God do with us that have the Spirit of God within us, that have the breath of life within us? What can God do with us that says, Lord, come and have your way, that sing the songs of the crushing, and the time of the crushing is coming to an end, and it is the time of the new wine. What can God do with us? What can God do with his people in this time? But as God released this word, there are three steps that we see 
And I get this from Dwayne's teaching on the prophetic. The first thing that happens in the release of God's purposes through the prophetic is there's the revelation. Ezekiel speaks and the bones starts rattling and noise. There's a revelation that comes, an understanding, an awareness. It's Paul writing and says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be led astray and abuse the gifts and not understand how it works. I want to show you what God is doing. And an awareness starts coming. It's a 14-year-old boy that suddenly becomes aware that there's another possibility. There may be something else that God is busy doing. It may be that God speaks into your life and say, there's a divine possibility. Will you receive it? It's an Abraham that God comes to and says, leave your home and go to the place I will show you. And out of you I will cause a great nation to arise and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed in you. Abraham would never have achieved that if God didn't release the word over him. If God didn't speak the word over him, it could not have happened. It's a Joseph that God gives a dream to when he's a young man and says the, 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 the people are going to bow before you. I'm going to use you mightily. And that there's something that gets released and unlocked inside of us. It's a David looking after the sheep. And the prophet comes and visits his father's Jesse's home and says to him, God showed me that one of your sons will become the king of Israel to take over from Saul, who is a failed king. God will raise up a man after his own heart and you're one of your sons. But his father doesn't even think of him. He doesn't even invite him to the meeting. When, when Samuel has gone through all the sons and have prayed, and then he comes and he says, it's none of these. His dad says, oh yeah, I've got that stinky boy of mine that's there by the sheep. You know, he's all day out there playing his harp by the sheep. Look, he's, we don't really rate him very highly. He's a silly boy. He's just a dreamer. You know, he's just out there. He doesn't smell so good. He's just, you know, he says, bring him to me. So they have to take him for a bath, clean him up, and they bring him to Samuel. And Samuel says, this is the anointed of the Lord. This is the, how many of you know the next day when his brothers gave him a hard time, he looked at them a little bit differently. He says, I may stink, but I'm going to be the king, baby. It's a Paul that is persecuting the church. And one day on his road to Damascus to go and do what he does, the light appears and God knocks him off his donkey. And he gets blinded and he gets led to the, straight called, uh, the street called Straight. And he has an encounter where it's explained to him that God has a different purpose for your life. The revelation breaks through and it changes everything. It resets the person's parameters. It resets your expectations. It starts destroying your plan for your life from the inside. It starts eating away at you. It leaves you dissatisfied forever with what you thought your life was going to be. You keep on bumping into this thing and you may not understand it. You don't know how this is going to work, what this is going to look like, but God is busy doing something. Have you received the revelation? It's when God speaks to a community like ours. And right now, we are hearing this, the, the voice of the Lord. From the end of last year, the Lord said to us, be ready. Be ready for a display of my glory. And even in a time where we've had a tough time as a community, for many years we've had a tough time. It's been more a time marked by what we've lost than what we've gained. It's been more a time where, we, where we've mourned and, and cried and, and have had to fight and stand and, and keep hope despite sometimes not feeling like we have hope. It's been a rough time. But I want to tell you, God is saying, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing in your midst. God is saying, I'm raising up an army. Do you believe it? Do you, do you believe it? God is raising up an army in this house. But that's just the first step is saying, I'm becoming aware. I receive it. Then comes the really interesting bit, the transformation part. Ezekiel speaks to the bones and the noise builds, and then the shaking begins as the bone starts moving, and the transformation happens, 
And it's that process from when dead bones start getting skin and start getting sinews and start getting muscles and the transformation is happening. You see, what the Word of God does, it repositions you so that God can begin to do what He wants to do to make you able to carry that which He wants you to carry. But you can't do it. Abraham was not able. He was, he was, him and his wife were barren. They couldn't have a child. 25 years, God journeyed with them till they came to the point where they were able to be the people of faith and were able to receive Isaac. That became the key that unlocked the promise. But there was a long journey of transformation. Joseph had to go from the dreams and feeling like, woohoo, you know, God is raising me up to the, to the pit to be sold by his brothers into slavery, left for dead, to then be slave in Potiphar's house, and from there to go to prison and be left in prison for something like 16 or 17 years. And God was busy with him. Because let me tell you, if Joseph went from the dream to the palace, he would have killed his brothers. He would have destroyed the future of God's nation. But God worked with him. God allowed the word to transform him, to change him. God allowed him to start beginning to understand. Because the prophetic word is the release of God's will and God's ways. It's his plan and his character that comes together. And God says, this is what I'm going to do, but this is how I want to do it. And he starts changing us on the inside. David had to go from behind the sheep to, to being fleeing for his life, living in caves, chased, hunted down by Saul, tempted to actually kill Saul at one opportunity that he had. Remember when he cut the corner of Saul's robe, and then later he said, I've touched the Lord's anointed, forgive me. He had to go through the time of dealing with all his fleshly ambition and all his desires and all his might and strength. He had to let go of all of that so that he could become the psalmist king that brought worship and authority together. And God had to do that in him. Saul had to go through 13 years, as we understand it, of being trained in how to Carry the New Testament word. And so we can tell story after story after story after story of every person that receives the word and then goes through the transformation. Right now, you may be in the transformation. And you may think, well, I've been in the transformation pretty long. Let me tell you, unfortunately, God determines the time of the transformation. It's completely according to His schedule and His program. He asks of you to submit he asks of you to obey. He asks of you to stand in faith, to go through the ups and downs of it, to, to deal with the hopelessness, to deal with the pain, to deal with the loss, the frustration, the change, the transformation, the whole thing. He asks you to deal with it until he's done. And you can't tell him when you're done, he's not done. You can't go ping like a microwave. Lord, I'm ready. Think three minutes is long enough. The Lord says, how about 30 years? Let's put you back in there, just on a slow roast. Just slowly, just, you know. How many of you felt the pain of the transformation? How many of you are feeling the pain of the transformation right now? It looks like you're getting further and further away from the dream. Lord, I used to be closer to the dream when I was back there. Because God's journey doesn't go from A to B to C. It goes from A to Z. Then to Q and P and just, you know, after a while you don't even know the alphabet anymore. Then there's a Hebrew alphabet thrown in and a Japanese one and a Chinese one. And you, don't, you become so confused. You don't know if you're coming or going. You don't know if you're the same person anymore. You say, Lord, can I give up on this word that you gave me? That'll be much easier. When you get to the point where you say, Lord, I don't want this word over, I'm lost all excitement and joy for this word anymore. This is too much. This cup is too bitter. This is too heavy to carry. The Lord says, now you're becoming ready for the thing that I want to do. Because it's not about you, it's about me. You get invited into the program, but it's not about you. It's about his plans and his kingdom. And then he starts working something so beautiful inside of you that we, the scripture says, that, that carry this earthen vessels that carry this treasure in our jars of clay. We're so aware of our limitations and our brokenness. I think of my own journey. Worship team, you guys can come join me. 
14-year-old kid. You know, I started really preaching only when I was 32. And I'm so thankful. Even now, I think that was way too early. If I listen, read some of those notes and listen to some of those messages, I go, hey now, who, who actually listened to me? And I planted the South Church back then and people came back a second week and a third week. Some of them, they're still in the church and I feel like apologizing to them every time. Like, really, I'm so sorry. You know, I thought I knew what I was talking about, but actually I had no clue. But aren't you thankful for God's grace and God's process? that he's busy with us. Because if you carry on with the transformation, then you step into the next step, which is the manifestation. And you know the manifestation can happen suddenly. Ask Joseph. He started at A, hoping to fulfill the dream. Then he went off the map completely. And when he was the furthest away from it, looked like any possibility of the dream coming to pass, the scripture says, and suddenly... How many of you know he went from a prison cell to a shave and a bath and stood in front of Pharaoh, and the next minute before he knew it, he was the second most important man in the nation. It didn't look possible. You can right now be so far away that you think, I, it's, Lord, let me just live out my days in peace. And like this, the Lord can do it, if it is his time and his process. Because the prophetic word moves us. The prophetic word takes us to the place. As I come to an end, I want to say to you, you have been created for divine possibility. You are not just average Joe, average Susan. You are created by God with divine possibilities. God is busy with a divine program and He's invited you to become part of that. He saved you. And now he's equipping you. Now he's enabling you. Now he's strengthening you so that you can do that which he's called you. I was called to preach the word in a church context. Most of you are not called to preach the word in a church context. You're called to preach the word through your life and through your declaration and your proclamation out there on your front line, in your family and in your workplace. You are called by God. Those are your divine possibilities. And right now, you may feel so inadequate. You may feel so like it's never going to happen. You may feel so caught and so stuck and so, you know, just like you've been trying to do something, but it's not happening. I want to tell you, this is a time where the Spirit of God is releasing an army. Releasing an army. And we will see the glory of the Lord in this building. We will experience fantastic times like we are already. But let me tell you, it's going to fail in comparison with what you're going to see out there. Because you're going to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gathered and the scattered church. And you may say to me, Pastor, that sounds very nice. All I want you to do is just pray for me so that I can make it through this week. I'll pray for you to make it through this week. But can I pray for you that God will do more than that in your life? Because Jesus didn't die on the cross for us so that we can just survive our earthly experience. He died on the cross for us so that we can see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Until He comes to fetch us and brings us into the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. God has got more for you in store than you could ever imagine. If you've not got a sense of God's purpose in your life, can I invite you into our community? We're a charismatic community. If you just spend a lot of time around us, you're going to get a word. Can I teach you a trick? Just look sad. Somebody's going to come and give you a word. Just, just look like you're lost. Somebody's going to give you a word. I'm, I'm kidding, but it's real true. It's in our communities that the Spirit of the Lord stirs the gift of prophecy. And next week, Neil will talk about that, about us and our community and the prophetic gift and how we use that here. That's where it's supposed to be stirred and, and done. And My time's up, but can I say this? Don't run after self-proclaimed prophets looking for the prophetic word. The prophetic word is a gift to a community. It's not about the gift carrier, and it's not about the gift in a sense. It's about the community at the end of the day. We value the prophetic gift. We, we open, we make space for the prophetic gift among us. We want more of the prophetic gift. But it's not about the gift. It's about the community. The gift serves the community. And it serves you. And that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. It's all about love. If you do not love the people you're prophesying to, you are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You may be right in your prophecy, but you're wrong. You're not carrying the heart of God. 
And we don't need just prophetic words. We need the revelation of who our God is, who His character is in this time. So if you haven't got a word of, that gives you sense of purpose and meaning, come as, we come as we come to an end of a service today or whenever you want to come and just say to somebody, pray for me. I can't guarantee you that they're going to give you a prophetic word because that's up to the Lord. He releases when He wants to, but you never know. Can I encourage you, go to a life group. Don't go to a life group to say, so that you can prophesy over me. No, go to a life group and become part of a community and God will release His plans and purposes over your life. Be part of a community so that God can not only stir in you the divine possibilities, but actually journey with you to see those divine possibilities come to reality. But you may be here today and you're carrying a sense of the divine possibility. Can I ask you to stand right now and say, I'm carrying the divine possibility. I know by faith, even if you don't know what it is, but you say, I know I'm carrying it by faith. And we're going to release this over us, Lord, right now. In Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Just won't you open your heart if you need to raise your hands, if you need to go on your knees, if you need to stand on your chair, or whatever you need to do to say, Lord, I'm open to you. It's not about me, it's about you, Lord. I want you to come and upset my life. I want you to come and do what you want to do, Lord. I want you to reposition me. I want you to change me. Lord, I've been struggling. I've been carrying something. I'm in the process of transformation. Give me strength, Lord, to not fail, but to move on with you, to carry on with you, Lord. Lord, as a community, as a church, we come to you right now full of faith. You are declaring it's a new day. The time of crushing has come, but you are releasing the new wine. And we are receiving the new wine today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we say, come, come new wine, come. Come, new wine, new possibilities, new, new flavor, new opportunities, new divine possibilities. I stir it up in the Spirit in this place today, in Jesus' name. I stir up in your people, Lord. I stir up the, 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 the divine possibilities that you have placed within us. Right now, Holy Spirit, come. Come and stir up in us as we sing this song together. Won't you allow the Spirit of God to stir up in you the divine possibilities that He has released over your life? And then I'll pray for you, and then we're going to end. So let's just sing this song together. Thanks, Chris. And I see a generation Rising up to take their place With selfless faith With selfless faith I see a near revival I see a near
In Acts 13, we read of the community of faith coming together in time of prayer and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they lay hands on them and they sent them away. If you are in the time of transformation, spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word. If there's any luck you can, any opportunity that you have to shorten that time, it's by spending it in the Word and in prayer so that God can do and He can change and move. But it's as a community comes together. So as a community today, can I ask you to lay hands on the person next to you? Just You may not know one another, but I know this, that if you're a child of God, He has sent you into this world. He has called you, and from this community, He sends you. You're not just going on your own. You go from this community and you come back to this community. And so this life that is shared through us. Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name that you have sent me, that you have called me, and you have sent me. And I pray for my brother and sister right now next to me. And I say thank you, Lord, that you have called them and that you are sending them into this world. That wherever they go, Lord, they go in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit to go and live divine possibilities, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you for our church, Lord. We thank you for your journeys with us. We thank you that you've been so faithful to us in the times of difficulty. In the times of the crushing and the pressing, we have felt your presence so clearly and so clearly you have been with us. But we thank you, Lord, that you have been in the spirit announcing a new season. And we say, we are ready, Lord. We are ready, Lord. We lift our eyes. We lift our eyes and we look up to you. And we say, Lord, it is the time of the new wine. And we receive, Lord. We receive that which you have for us in this season ahead. And we all agree together and we say... Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Remember the year of your life, guys. You go down there. There's baptism happening at the function hall. If you want prayer this morning, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want purpose to live for, come and let us pray with you and let the Lord come and just change your life, whole side, upside down, inside out, and let Him do with you what only He can do. We love you. May you have a fantastic week.